I'm Wendy Garrett. This is Conscious Living on Empower Radio. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time. Appreciate you tuning in to find out whatever it is might be most important for you to hear today. That's kind of the way it works out. We end up at certain a certain place thinking we have some kind of a plan and figure out something else is planned it for us. <laughs> and usually knows better what we need, um, whether we admit it or not. Uh, I really am looking forward to talking with my guest today, Dennis William Hunk, and I I really am fascinated by all the stuff that I have been through in my life. A lot of it I pushed aside because it was like, well, this doesn't this doesn't work with my normal routine. This isn't reality. This is just fantasy. This is fiction. This is these are, are illusions and um, it's paranormal. It's metaphysical. It's mystical, and it has no place in me going to work. So I figured. At that point, when I finally couldn't keep living that particular illusion, I decided, actually, it's more real than the other part is. So I reconfigured my work (laughs) and changed it. But Dennis, hi. Thank you so much. Uh, To give people an idea of your background, uh, there's so many things that you have done. What would you start with? I guess I'd start with... uh, uh my study as a mathematician, I was actually in graduate school at uh, the University of Vienna um, studying mathematics, and um, I was studying in the school of a guy named Kurt Gerdell, a, a logician who'd actually proven that um, mathematics is just a game, that it's, that it's not the genuine way to complete truth. In fact, that everything that we think in science and everything we think in knowledge, every field of knowledge, is inconsistent and incomplete because we don't have the big picture. We don't have access to the one mind or the conscious uh, oneness of the universe. We're, we're trapped in dualities, basically. But he proved this mathematically. And um, believe me, when it, when it happened, it, it upset mathematics. I mean, most people have never heard of Gerdell, but there were mathematicians who were committing suicide over his proof, and, and a lot of people dropped out of mathematics and... Uh, so it was revolutionary, and I went to Vienna to study in the school founded by him. Um, and that mindset that that finding truth um, is not available through the normal channels that I've been told all my life, that the way to truth is mathematics and science. And So I was a very logical guy. And um, one day I was in the Vienna Library, which which is in a building that was built like in 1300, and it's a beautiful old building, and I was in the basement, and just kind of strolling around, kind of lost in, in, in my disappointment in mathematics and trying to figure out what to do as a career, and I stumbled into a room full of old alchemy books. They were bound in leatherette and vellum, uh, and dusty old volumes they kept in this cool room in the basement, and I just started leafing through them, and the pictures just absolutely uh, resonated with me and jumped out at me. And, and um, uh, there was some deep meaning in them. I, I could just tell. And, and they were talking about something specific, and it was a great mystery to me. And then, so I started translating all these old German and Latin books and got very interested in alchemy. And uh, actually, I, I looked for an alchemist to apprentice to. And uh, uh, Vienna and, and nearby Prague were the center of alchemy in, in the 17th century, and um, there were still alchemists in Prague and, and Vienna. Um, there was even a guild, and so I got involved in alchemy. I apprenticed to an alchemist in uh, Prague and uh, spent three years studying alchemy instead of mathematics, and I kept it secret from my family. 
<laughs> yeah, you've gone off the deep end, huh? I'd gone off the deep end, and I, I, I basically, um, I never finished my dissertation, uh, although I got the equivalent master's degree, but I, I became an alchemist, and um, and that opened me up to a lot of different things. It opened me up to um, to a deeper reality, uh, just as it is as experienced by you and many other people, um, that there's more to this life than the materialistic everyday world. And um, and when I got back to the United States, I my studies in alchemy had actually demonstrated that consciousness is a force in nature or that that's how the alchemists treated consciousness and mind. I mean, they actually meditated with their experiments in order to make the experiments happen. And there are things that happen in an alchemical laboratory that really don't take place in a, in a chemical uh, environment. So I was convinced of the power of consciousness <clears throat> excuse me, to uh, change reality. And I thought that the best place to prove that, I still had this mathematical idea that things could be proven, which I think is unnecessary. But back then, that was the 1970s, and um, I decided to study paranormal phenomena because I thought uh, that within paranormal phenomena, we could find the proof that consciousness changes reality. And, um, and I did that. I, I, I started studying with Dr. J. Allen Hynek at Northwestern University. I, I programmed the Catalog of Paranormal and, and UFO Events and with him and uh, worked with him, did some field investigations, um, uh, and uh, went to study uh, paranormal stuff. I spent almost 10 years doing it. I edited a bunch of magazines and wrote some books and, uh, and uh, tried to find uh, proof of that. There's, of course, a tremendous amount of noise in that field, uh, wishful thinking, uh, just downright lies, uh, exaggerations, but uh, there's a good small percentage, maybe 2 or 3% of those cases that uh, did provide evidence, I think, and I, I wrote them up as best I could. And so um, eventually I turned back to alchemy and uh, now trying to teach alchemy and holding conferences and lectures and writing about it um, because alchemy gives us stages and steps to understand the, the mystical and paranormal environment, I think, and, and even to tune our consciousness into perceiving it. So... Um, that's the long story of how I yeah. got to this. Yeah. Well, and if you're if you're listening and you want to re- read or find out more about him, you can go to his website, alchemylab.com, and you can find a whole list of things that he's been involved with. I used to read at one point I had Magical Blend. I loved that magazine because of the content that it had, um, because I was constantly searching for ways to define my reality. I went into media. I went into being a journalist, a news person, a, a disc jockey, whatever. And I kept having all of my paranormal things. And then I had a huge shift in consciousness in 1997 where the nightlight in my house, I realized it was acting independently in a way it was not supposed to. And then I went ahead and all of a sudden I opened myself up to my own my own guides and allowed them to instruct me along with others who came as part of that nightlight package. And that's continued that they'll they'll. Um, I have a a conscious, uh, I guess, ongoing co. It's not just my project; it's theirs. It's a co-creative thing, where I am being given all sorts of wonderful insights, and as I continue to follow that, I get more. But the biggest one was when they shifted time in front of me, and um, 
when I traveled the place that I happened to live, the city, it, I was given a, the thing that changed was the barometric pressure in the morning and I was told something would happen in advance. And so that I felt the barometric pressure shift. It was like I was in high altitude as opposed to where we were. And I stepped out of my house and that day from one part of the city to the next, the only color on the cars was, um, was either the black, white or metallic color. There were no, no reds, no greens, no blues, nothing like that. And they told me I had stepped into a parallel dimension. And I'm like, holy cow, you know, and there's no drugs, there's nothing involved. It's just that shift of we can show you other ways of being if you are not afraid. And that's the bottom line. And from then on, you know, you have to, you realize that there are some times and I wasn't afraid then, but there are sometimes things have happened and I've had to shut that fear response down because it's part of our survival mechanism. And when something is so incredibly foreign and we're not prepared or allowing or um, just in that state of complete trust, then we block it. And that was that's basically what I have learned in all of this stuff throughout the time that I was little and had, you know, lots of experiences that it's the one thing that we can really get a grip on is our fear. And when we do that, then we can expand and explore this consciousness thing beyond anything we have yet to imagine. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And the, and the key in your story and many other stories is light. That light is uh, the, the medium of communication between this higher realm and us. And, I mean, it's I, there are hundreds and hundreds of examples. In my own life, it was sunlight. But, um, for instance, Jacob Bohm, the famous alchemist, um, his was uh, the, the reflection of light off a, a, a brass bowl and uh, many other People, including Kurt Goodell, the, the mathematician, and other scientist, uh, Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton's fascinating fascination with light was because um, he sensed alchemically, and that's where his his mindset was. He was an alchemist first. Um, was that light carried information, and it does. Uh, and light is part of the electromagnetic spectrum and uh, radio waves. And right now, what we're talking uh, over the internet, it's all light. It's all a form of light. So. I, your story is fascinating and sounds very genuine to me because it it sounds it resonates with so many other stories of how enlightenment happens and uh, that light is is uh, carries information for us. Well, it's a part of programming and not a programming in a negative way, an expansion when we are ready and when we demonstrate certain kinds of isms, mannerisms, beliefs, you know, uh, perceptions, then this stuff is just there bubbling under the surface. And you could choose to ignore it or choose to engage it. And I chose to say, what the heck is this? I have always been curious. And then I allowed myself to be given information that would help me learn how to apply it. And that just continued to grow. So as I decided, maybe I didn't need to be a news anchor, because all I could do there was parrot everything that was happening. I wanted to create and to investigate all of this metaphysical stuff that for me is reality. So that was, and this nightlight, I mean, I'm in my office, in my bedroom, I have nightlights, I take them with me when I travel. That's my <laughs> way of just showing, hey, folks, this is what it does for me. You can tell me it's impossible for you, but it isn't impossible for me. Well, <laughs> my reality. <laughs> so, um, but that's, you know, each of us has those kinds of little connections, and it's up to us to discover them and then, you know, either uh, reconcile how that can work. And for you as a mathematician, that had to be such an incredible um, break 
from your own programming and your own concept of how everything could make sense at some level. I'm, I'm, I can't imagine what Einstein went through. <laughs> you know, Einstein, uh, that's a good example. I mean, he broke through, through his imagination, through his creative powers. I mean, he imagined himself riding a light beam throughout the universe, and that's where the theory of relativity and much of his work came from, through his imagination. And that's really the only thing that saved me. Uh, uh, when In mathematics, in, in high school, and college, I mean, I was a very logical person, very... Um, I had the common scientific arrogance that uh, I was on the road to truth and everybody else was just kind of messing around with their lives, you know. And uh, to find out that that wasn't true and to find out in a logical proven way in mathematics, um, where Goodell disproved mathematics as a, as a vehicle for finding truth, basically a game that works for us because our consciousness is involved in it, but, but not the way to truth, that, that intuition and, um, and metaphysical uh, feelings were, were the only way to connect with this one mind that was outside our universe that, that really started the ball rolling, if you will. So... I, I discovered that there was this whole other reality, and, and it was proven to me in many different ways, uh, embedded in our everyday reality, that, as, as you've said, uh, is more real than our everyday reality. And, and that's, what, uh, that's what my salvation was, that I found something that was more real. Um, and uh, even though it, if it wasn't provable in the, in, the, in the logical sense, it was a union of logic and this uh, logic, if you will, or feeling and, and emotion with thoughts and logic. And it was a, a union of the masculine and feminine consciousness, as they call it in alchemy, the king and the queen, the two ways of knowing, you know, between, um, between and come to a balance, come to a, a, a one-mind situation where there is no duality, where you just sense the Gnostic reality uh, all around us. I t- I, and that part of it, I had been given. I didn't pursue this. It was that it was somehow a thing of just saying yes and just being open. I this wasn't my quest. This was, I was, I was a broadcaster. Darn it! <laughs> I had places to go and rewards to collect, um, uh-huh. and and then I just kept getting derailed. And something else would happen. And uh, whether it was a paranormal, you know, a ghost thing or seeing seeing uh, forms, beings at the end of my bed, taking notes and discussing my progress. And then as soon as I opened my eyes and tried to focus, they disappeared. And the first thing they said was, she's awake. And, and it was like, poof. I'm like, well, wait, wait, <laughs> come back. I have questions. <laughs> once once but, you get out of the way, it floods in the spiritual reality. I mean, it, it is the dominant reality, I think. And it's our own egos, our own um, uh, focusing of our consciousness on everyday things that, that kind of block it. And uh, that's actually the stages of alchemy and how to, how to get out of the way of, uh, of this light uh, that is all around us. Well, and that's the thing from, from the time, from the beginning, they kept saying, you are the light. I'm looking at the nightlight going, no, 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 no. And so I would get under the sheet and I mean, I'm an adult and, I, and where is the light? Where am I glowing? Do I glow? And they mm-hmm. said, it's a bioelectric response that we all have in our programming, in our coding that, that creates all of this. And we are to engage that at some point. And this isn't for everybody, but this has been my own personal Search and so for you know talking to you with all of your background and I'll just give a, a laundry list the um, 
the way that you have pursued it with the, the things that you've written about, the magic of the universe, the alchemy, the great secret, uh, tarot cards, uh, 100 Ways to Sunday, Power of Sacred Space, Alchemical Healing, the Practical Guide to Practically Everything, all of these things have forced you to, in some way, shape, or form, as you're writing these books, put it into a linear thought process, where is that, I think, is your incredible gift, because a lot of us have these experiences, and we cannot translate them in layman's terms into some form of reality. Otherwise, we get into the Carlos Castaneda type stuff, and people say that's um, hokey, and they they then um, basically shoot the messenger and say he was crazy. But the message and the information that comes through that, I tell you, I've had the experiences I thought didn't exist that he wrote about. And I thought, all right, there's something else going on here. And we just have to get, like you said, away from the ego, that judgment thing and say, well, all right, what if, and start from there. But that's yeah, where I way, see I'm, I'm, benefit. I'm a mathematician, you know, trying to make things clear and, and precise. And, and that is kind of, a, in my life, the, the melding of, uh, of the metaphysical and the physical or, the, or, or logic and, and, uh, and intuition. Uh, yeah, I think that you've hit the nail on the head as far as what I'm about, yeah. What do you think when people you're, and, you're, and you teach alchemy and how to how to start the process? What is the hardest and um, in personality in dealing with people who are really desperately wanting to make something happen? How do you tell them to undo the desperation? <laughs> yeah, you know that really gets in the way. There, there are people who want to desperately to experience something and go from the experience, but. And that happens naturally in a lot of people's lives, but sometimes it doesn't. And um, the way in alchemy um, and that, that has been evolved since Egyptian times is the ancient wisdom of, uh, of opening co consciousness or purifying consciousness. And, and that starts um, usually whether you're on the path or not. It starts with uh, being upset, with being um, uh, disappointed, with being depressed, with being fed up. Uh, with the world, and uh, it doesn't start before that. So the first stage in alchemy is uh, really wanting to change things, wanting, needing to change your life, needing to change your relationships, needing to change your job. Whatever's in the way, you just feel a total dissatisfaction. And, uh, I mean, there's names for it in alchemy, calcination, dissolution, and all these operations in alchemy that take place. But whether you're working with a substance in the laboratory or some type of psychological thing like Carl Jung and his alchemical works um, presented, or, or just on a spiritual level, it's the same thing. It's the same feeling of dissatisfaction. So alchemy is very much an adult thing because um, you have to come to a point in your life where, you're, where you see through the nonsense and see through the dross, as the alchemists called it, the, all the... Um, imperfect things in the world and see the possibility of perfection in the world and perfection in yourself and then you're really set on the path so oh wow first, first stage wow. is the hardest okay and i'll tell you what I, that relates with what i went through when this happened we were um i had been doing a morning show for five or five years or so and interviewing people all sorts of people wayne dyer um marianne williamson a lot of the people and i also included the paranormal stuff and um 
because they were all my background and the mind, the consciousness, the uh, things about how we program ourselves. So the Monroe, Monroe Institute, all this stuff factored in. But I they they switched the program, the format, and we were fired, let go, transited, downsize, whatever you want to say. And it was a huge blow. At that point, though, I realized I was living vicariously. I was talking to people who were doing things that I found fascinating and trying to mask that because it was in an environment that didn't neither appreciate nor um, believe that it was valid. And so I was doing my own surreptitious way of getting this stuff on the air, <laughs> mm-hmm. in, you know, in incognito. And at the same time, when that when that all cracked and I realized that that was not the reality I wanted to have the rest of my life, then I started with the metaphysical stuff. And someone at one point, there was a death close to me and I realized that she gave me information to somebody else. And I had no idea this was all what I had been blocking until my own fabric of reality totally disintegrated. And I was just peeved that that happened. At the same time, that's what that's what started all this. That's that's what started this huge cascade of um, of shift into this metaphysical and more of a conscious living focus. It was, um, it was extraordinary. It doesn't stop. That's what I love about what your stuff is. This, this is an ongoing thing. We don't ever conclude this. We just continue to explore and expand. And what for you has been the most, um, transformational, I guess, is there an event or a lifetime or a period you could share? And I will, you know, I, are there words that help express that? Uh, I think um, I think that well in the uh, Grail legend, um, there's a a pattern set down where uh, when we're pure and open to this uh, stuff, this other reality. It comes flooding in, just as you said, and you can do that as an adult, but most of us realize that as children, uh, when we are in a pure state of consciousness, many, many of us have had metaphysical experiences that we tried to integrate in our lives and have just given up as we became, you know, adulterated. And um, so my first experience or my first intimation that there was something else uh, was as a child. Um, we had been living in South Chicago, and I... Uh, got very sick uh, with a virulent form of hepatitis. My liver was like swollen seven times its size. I could barely breathe, and the doctors gave me a 50-50 chance to live. And um, my parents, you know, part of the therapy was actually eating liver <laughs> three times a day, and, and the, the doctors said get him out in the sunshine. So my parents actually moved to the country, and um, it was there that... Uh, uh, I thrived. I, I mean, I really changed. Uh, but being so close to the edge of death, and um, it affected me. I was very, I was tired. I was uh, nothing really interested me. Uh, you know, no pets. My parents, television, books. Um, I was really close to death. And um, being in that state opened me up. I think to um, to nature because I was in nature at that time. Um, Strange things happen. Like um, I was very much attracted to milkweed <laughs> plants, oh. um, uh, which grew in the prairie there in Illinois, and uh, they're they're lovely plants. They have these strange pods uh, that open up and, and and give out seeds and, and a beautiful like uh, parachuting yeah. of thousands of seeds. Yeah. And uh, and, um, and I actually would break open the milkweed 
plants. I'd eat the leaves. I'd, I'd break open the plants and suck the milk, even though it was bitter. You know, I can still remember the taste of it. My friends, everyone told me it was poison, uh, and my parents uh, forbid me to go in the field because I was eating so much milkweed. <laughs> and, uh, but I didn't find out until I was an adult that milkweed is a liver restorer, that it contains uh, silmarin, which is a uh, chemical you know, that's used in pharmaceuticals now, taken directly from the milkweed milk. And um, it was that kind of connection with nature that, uh, that, that opened, up, uh, opened up me, I think, to, to the possibility that there's things we don't know, that things we can do by instinct um, that are correct when it comes to nature, and that nature has a whole bounty of allies and um, a spiritual support and physical support. So Absolutely, yeah. And there was other things like that. One day there was a, like a wind that came in the yard, a warm wind. Um, I don't know really how to describe this. It sounds a little crazy, but I, I followed that wind into the field, even though I was forbidden to go in the field. And I followed the wind um, through the field. I, I mean, it's, it's like an intelligent, warm wind, and it sounds so crazy to talk about it now, but as a child I didn't question it. And... Uh, it, it just led me through this field, and then there was, it, it ended up near an old oak tree. And in front of the oak tree, there was this deep hole, it must have been like eight feet deep, that someone had dug, and I don't know for what reason. And um, you could see the clay was very solid, the hole. And I stood on the uh, edge of the hole like there was something really interesting in the hole to look at. And the more I stood there, the more I felt... Uh, that something was there, and then this ball of light kind of started forming in the middle of the hole, and I felt very drawn to it. Um, I felt like jumping in and becoming part of that light, um, and I knew that it, it would just absorb me, or I felt like it would be a kind of quantum leap, I guess I'd call it now, uh, that I wanted to take. Part of me wanted to take, and part of me didn't. So anyway... Okay. Uh, Hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't conclude. We're going to take a break. And then you, (laughs) because this is fascinating. And I believe every word. I know these things happen. So yes, uh, William Halk is our guest. Um, I'm sorry. Dennis Halk is our guest. (laughs) Uh We're talking conscious living on Empower Radio. We'll be back in a few. Hey, what's up? Thinking about you. XOXOXO. Want to snuggle, dot, 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 JK. Hit me back. You getting these texts, question mark. We should hang later. I miss you. Holla at your boy. Holla back. Holla back. Holla back. Are you at home? Where are you? What are you doing? OMG, you are making me mad. Are you with your ex? You better text me back. I'm waiting outside your house. Relentless, aggressive texting is like sending an angry robot to deliver your message. When does the robot become dangerous? Let us know at that'snotcool.com. That'snotcool.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Before there were computer games and HDTV, cram courses and teaching to the test, there was this thing called imagination. A tool so powerful... It could transport kids on the most amazing journeys of their lives, from outer space to center field at Yankee Stadium. It is for these journeys that Destination Imagination was created. 
an extraordinary after-school program in creativity and teamwork for every child. At Destination Imagination, teams are formed and challenges are met with a whole lot of imagination. And while we can't guarantee it'll get your kid into Harvard or onto American Idol, we're pretty sure that Destination Imagination will be the most important journey they make this year. Maybe any year. Parents, teachers, start a Destination Imagination team by calling 888-321-1503 or visit DestinationImagination.org. That's DestinationImagination.org. I'm home and I love it. I'm home where I belong. I'm home and I love it. I'm home where I belong. It's always nice to come home. But these days, many Americans are at risk of foreclosure and losing their homes. Fortunately, help is available. Making Home Affordable is a free program from the U.S. government that has already helped over a million struggling homeowners, and we want to help you. I'm home. I'm home. And I love it. I'm home. I'm home. Find out now what your options are. Go to makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE. The sooner you act, the better chance we can help you. I'm home. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and HUD. Hey there. I'm Wendy, and we're back with more of Conscious Living on Empower Radio. Thank you for staying with us if you uh, held on to the break or joining us if you're just here for the first time and um, just kind of fast forwarding. <laughs> to figure out if there's anything you like. Ha, ha, ha. Dennis Halk is incredible. Um, it has so many, so many books to his credit and pieces of information that make him fascinating just for some of the stuff that he has given us access to through his own travels and his own experience that I really was looking forward to talking with him today. So it's part of my own path to seek out people that I, that I feel a connection to. And I feel, um, even though, you know, I might not have read the entire library, but there's this sense of knowing that we have information that fills everybody else's puzzle in some way, shape, or form. We have these little connects and pieces. And as you were talking, Dennis, before we took the break about following this, what you felt this warm wind, and of course you're a kid, so you don't have anything of, uh, you're not letting the adults tell you you can't experience this reality. You're just kind of going with it. And the wind leads you to a tree where there's this pit, like an eight-foot deep pit in the tree that somebody has dug out for whatever reason, and all of a sudden you see the light. What happens from there from there well i'm uh i'm this eight-year-old kid watching something and and like you said uh, i didn't question it it was just all natural i i had i didn't know what a hallucination was i didn't know you know what was real was in front of me so it was very real to me and and this ball of light was so beautiful uh so full of um uh, rainbow colors and uh and yet it was all the time this brilliant white color it was a contradiction in colors for one thing and and I was totally fascinated, totally taken in. I wanted to jump in. I was felt like I was being called to jump in to this pit and become part of this light. And it was uh, it was it was just a very deep experience. It's hard to explain. I mean, there were all kinds of uh, energetic things going on between me and this light. And on what level, uh, I don't know. But so I was teetering on the edge wanting to join it and afraid of it, uh, too. And then I thought I heard my mother calling me, 
saying, you know, like she did, Danny, come home, Danny, come home, you know, screaming out loud. But I was miles from home at that point. But uh, it became louder and louder, and that's really what broke broke the trance, if you will, um, mm-hmm. that I was in. And and I just started running. I started running for home in my mother's voice. Uh, and uh, actually, uh, when I got home, I threw myself on the kitchen floor. She was standing there doing dishes, and and I couldn't tell her what happened. And she, I was uh, not crying, but I was just overwhelmed by the whole thing, and I couldn't explain it to her. And so that became an incident in my life that uh, transformed it in the sense that I kept that experience pure. I mean, I was wise enough as a, as a kid, I think, not to want to interpret it, but to remember it just as it happened. And then through the years, as I grew older, I started trying to find out what really happened. And I thought for a time I was it was a UFO experience or something. I was taken up by a UFO. And then in my psychological phase, I thought maybe it was... Uh, if I'd been molested or something in in the field, because a, a lot of times people uh, supplant uh, bad memories with you know memories like yes, this. Yes, yes, right. It, it right. really it really wasn't that either. And uh, um, I thought of angels. I mean, I covered it all. And and finally, when I was in Vienna, in that uh, in that library I was telling you about with all the alchemy books I discovered, I opened up one of the books and there was a picture of a ball of light in a hole, by an oak tree, or by a tree, I should say, that uh, that was my experience. And it was the uh, called The Experience of the Stone by Jacob Baum, and um, uh, a visualization of one of his experiences and other experiences with light that alchemists had had over the years. And just as you had experience, and, and we've been talking about that light carries a kind of intelligence, that was exactly it. That was exactly my experience and what I felt at the time. And the fact that someone had felt that 400 years, you know, that I wasn't yes. the only one, mm-hmm. um, that was another reason I, I got into alchemy. And I took that jump into the light when I discovered alchemy. And and, um, and it's been a more controlled reaction, I guess, and I wasn't totally dissolved by it, but uh, definitely been the, the driving force in my life. So, um, And that's how it started. And I think that all of us have some type of thing like that uh, or most of us, some type of experience that we we uh, had as children. Um, just like in the Grail Legends, I was talking about Percival, who as a child, as a young man, had, had seen the Grail, had seen the Grail as a ball of light that formed over a table and was totally taken in by it, yet he couldn't explain it. He didn't know how to integrate it into his life. And it wasn't until he was an adult, a knight to the round table, that he experienced the light again, and this time he knew how to use it, how to heal, how to use it in the real world. And that's, that, um, that archetypal legend, the Grail legend, has very, uh, very much helped me explain what had happened to me and understand other things in the world. So um, it's an experience I very rarely talk about uh, because, well, with family members and, and uh, you know, fellow workers, it's not something that um, is part of our world. It's something that um, in the alchemical sense, they talk about the cornerstone that the builders forgot. There is, in our civilization, we forgot to add this mystical component, and, um, and it's responsible for a lot of the problems we're having as a civilization and a culture that we, we're not balanced with the metaphysical and the physical. And, basically, uh, basically, 
we painted ourselves into a corner and given us and, and erased the door, you know, and I see that as the door, that mystical element, that's the door. And all you have to do is acknowledge it's there and it appears. It's like, it's such a no brainer at the same time though. It is our huge challenge right now. Right. And the whole, the whole key is just to purify our consciousness and to let go of our habitual thoughts and judgments and opinions and experiences and all the baggage we carry and just become pure as a, as a child if we can and and that then it happens it just it's a natural thing it's not unnatural it's not supernatural it's part of the fabric of the universe to experience this Okay, and now, in just my own way of quirky way of relating to the world, I don't have this issue with very many people, but I'm dealing with you right now on two planes. Uh, you are incredibly outside of your own physical being, and the way you navigate because of your alchemy can be, uh, when you're around people, um, incredibly transformational because you shift their reality, and they are not consciously aware of that. But they will experience a transformation because of all the work you've done. And just engaging with you through the light waves here that we're working with, the the sense is is incredibly, um, it's like instead of everything being finite and concrete with you, there's a wonderful fluidity. And you are beyond just being stuck in your, in your physical vessel. You're very good at getting out of that and on to that plane of consciousness where you can be in someone's space and yet perfectly to physically to appear in that space you're at. Does this make sense to you? Oh, yeah. In, in fact, uh, I mean, that is very, very perceptive of you because that's how the apprenticeship in alchemy worked with me. Uh, I, I had a, a mentor, Maris Pavilla, um, who uh, taught me in that way, not, not so much by... Uh, physical lessons by proofs or anything like that, but by his presence and his wisdom. Um, that's what the oral teachings are, the teachings in alchemy that can only be passed down from one person to another. It's, uh, that's how I was instructed, and that's how I, I teach, too. It's the um, seed of gold idea that, that when people see what's possible, uh, and not that I'm anything special, or not, not that Maris was anything special, or not that Isaac Newton was anyone special, but um, they carry this, um, uh, the only word I know for it is an attitude um, and an awareness, uh, and that's really all you need to teach alchemy. Uh, uh, there's a lot of laboratory work that takes place, and a lot of written work and reading, and, and there's a lot of work like that, but the really key is to be with an alchemist. Uh, with someone who's already experienced this and has passed on in an unspoken, you know, unspeakable way. Uh, and that's where these deeper transformations take place. There's so much that um, happens outside of words or between the words uh, in the world. And when we think that everything is going to be communicated by equations and words and literality, uh, we're missing 50% of what's there, and uh, and it's just like you said, you know, it's all about opening up. Once you open up to the possibility, uh, it floods in because it's just waiting there. It's a, ba you know, there, there are so many languages and descriptions that work. The best way I can put it has more to do with the Zen way of uh, the practice of being and non-being. And so then you, you transcend that duality state into the state of uh, 
oneness of consciousness. And these are not anything that you can describe to anybody into how to get this. It's when they do get it, it's like, oh, aha, there it is. That that light bulb goes on and you've transcended all the blocks that kept you from moving to the next position. And I agree. There's no, there's no perfect or better human being in terms of what we're all here to learn. There's just a, a wonderful multitude of ways that we can incorporate that work best for each and every one because then we add our element to that picture and everyone else evolves. So it's the thing of looking every day to see what can I integrate? What can I learn from? How can I open to the magic of this world and not get lost in the process? But, you know, just in in terms of growing, evolve through the process. And with you, it's the alchemy that defines it. And that way people have a framework to refer to and a process to consciously code themselves as they go through it. You know, it's, that's a huge thing, trying to identify all of this and how we how we do that is with our language at the same time. Language is extremely limiting. Yes, it is. And, and alchemy, um, alchemy, as much as I've studied it and loved it, is nothing special. It's just a, another framework for understanding this experience. And you can do it within a religion. You can do it within uh, any type of framework where, where at least you've got some type of support for the experience. But the experience itself and the wisdom and light itself is, is what counts. And um, you can certainly do it without any framework at all, which is kind of the Zen way of doing it. Uh, I practice Zen meditation, Zazen, which is just sitting and trying to get out of the way and opening yourself to, uh, to this wisdom that's all, all around us. What do you do? Because a lot of this for me has involved working in the dream time and the daytime and being able to incorporate that. And of course, I've had this non-physical presence with me helping to give me information or plug me into information I needed to know, uh, which is, has been incredible. Um, it transformed my physical person and my spiritual, emotional, the whole nine yards. I just went right into it and said, OK, I'll, I'll do this. But when you are trying to work your own way with that what's the easiest at this point way to say okay start here do you start with that meditation or that sitting in silence and seeing what happens with that or do you start by educating yourself about these are the things that might happen i mean that's that's a tough thing you're teaching alchemy but um somebody has to be prepared to take that step and i think have a sense of belief or suspending disbelief for it to actually work yeah, you have to um, become uh, part of it. Uh, so when I'm writing books or trying to describe this, there is a logical you know, organization taking place. But I find when I'm writing and I read it over again and I read, read things over many times to try and get to the truth of it, um, there's something missing usually. And, and uh, so meditation has become very much a big part of my life. Uh, I, was, uh, I built the first isolation tank uh, here in Northern California, back in the 70s, uh, uh, when there were no other, uh, when that uh, paradigm had not emerged yet, and I did a lot of work in isolation tanks and uh, trying to get to this state, uh, there's really a breakthrough experience with me there, too, about meditation. Uh, I'd been practicing all kinds of meditations, uh, transcendental meditation in particular, which is a valid uh, system, but... Um, 
basically it, it, you'd say mantras over and over again to stop thinking and to stop having thoughts. Well, one day I had the, uh, I was home alone on a weekend, and uh, I took advantage of it, and I said, I'm going to sit in the middle of the living room floor, and I'm going to meditate just like Buddha, you know, and I'm going to sit there until I get enlightenment, and I don't care how long it took. So I sat there cross-legged in the middle of the uh, living room early in the morning, and um, started going into a meditative state and following the transcendental meditation steps. Um, and I did. After four hours, five hours, I got to a point when, uh, where my body was extremely relaxed, where I was actually in kind of a catatonic state where I couldn't consciously, like I'd say I wanted to move my arm or something, it wouldn't move. And, and um, so I was definitely in this insulated hermetically sealed, as the alchemists would call it, state where nothing, there was no noise from the outside world. My ears, had, my senses had stopped functioning to that point. Uh, and so nothing disturbed me. So I was in this, this beautiful chamber of, um, of silence, and it was just me and, uh, and myself. And the, and the only thing that got in the way were my thoughts. So the, as in transcendental meditation, that is the enemy to be conquered and so I wanted to stop thinking, and so I spent, you know, I mean, I must have sat there about seven and a half hours doing this and trying to work through it. And, and when I did reach the state where I could at least feel the energy before the thought and work with that uh, and not have the thought, uh, in alchemy, thoughts are physical things. Thoughts are materializations of energy, and, and they pile up and they get in the way. Uh, in fact, the alchemists thought that the salt and tears um, represents broken down thoughts, that, that, that thoughts are like salt and they come out uh, when they're broken down by the energy of emotions. So I'd reached that state, but then I became, I was so deep and so disconnected from my body that, I, that fear took over. As you said, fear is the thing we have to overcome to break uh, that habit from going deeper into this, these experiences. And, uh, but the fear was that I was paralyzed and a very uncomfortable feeling to, to want to move any part of your body and have nothing happen. And the, the way out of that um, in all meditation is through the breath, because the breath is the final thing that you can control in the living body, and that's why breath is so key in, in meditation. Uh, you slow down your breath to enter meditation, you speed it up to leave it. And so that's what I did. I, um, I started the breath of fire, which is this uh, uh, very rapid um, uh, hyper breathing. Yes, yes. That type of thing going on, and I was doing that, and it was starting to work. I could feel the circulation, my blood, I, all those, uh, my body coming back to life. And then all of a sudden, I heard um, it coming back to me, like a, like an echo chamber almost. And it was uh, that was very disconcerting, and I was convinced that I was having some type of out of body experience, and I um, I struggled open my eyes and see where I was at. I was convinced I was out of my body because I could hear, I could hear this uh, breathing coming back at me like, like my double was outside me or something. And I struggled finally to, to open my eyes, and they popped open, and, and here sitting in front of me was my old English sheepdog sitting on his haunches right in front of me, staring at me, and he's breathing, he's going... <sighs> front of me trying to figure out, you know, what I'm doing, uh, just sitting inches from my face, and um, <laughs> it was my dog. It was my old English sheepdog. It was really there, but just happened to be trying to figure out what, what I was doing. I um, was dad up to. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's and a quirky I, I dude. I, I, nice. And, and there was no thoughts there. You know, he was actually where I was supposed to be, uh, not having thoughts. And that moment of realization that, that a dog <laughs> could have this wonderful and enlightened state that I was trying to seek made me realize that not having thoughts is... Um, is, uh, is a state, a meditative state, but it's not the alchemical state, the alchemical meditations. Um, and when I went back to, did a lot of research into alchemical meditations, into the, uh, into the personal journals of alchemists and how they meditated, and they, they used thoughts as things in their experiments, as ingredients. And um, alchemical meditation is an active meditation, not a passive meditation. So that was the key. Uh, when I discovered that, I realized that you could use your imagination, you could use thoughts, you could use emotions in meditation to actually reach a goal or reach a conclusion uh, and, and get information. So I changed totally the type of meditation I was doing from transcendental uh, techniques to stopping thoughts to quieting the mind to passively um, letting go to actively searching for a particular truth and using, following my imagination, basically, following the light of my own imagination, which the alchemists called the true imagination, as opposed to fantasy and, and other things that go on in the mind, and to, to train my mind to, um, to use the light inside me uh, to, to get answers to um, problems and questions I was having. So that was a total transformation just based on my, my old English sheepdog, who, whose name was Socrates, by the way. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, cool. Uh, yeah, and that really changed the way I do meditations, and, and that was 1995 or something like that. And shortly after that, I wrote my first book, uh, The Emerald Tablet, from this meditative state, and um, and people recognized that, uh, that it was a different level. So I think it's very real meditation, a very important tool. Well, and I think, yeah, I think the way you describe that is, is instead of being um, kind of a victim or, or, you know, an immobile participant, you are engaged and you are helping to guide this tour that you're planning to take. So you're setting the intention ahead of you that there will be a result, a reaction, instead of just going, no reaction, no movement. No, there's a whole, you're right, there's a completely different level of, of engagement with the consciousness. And for me, when I experience that, Somebody said, Somebody said, if you want to have an out-of-body experience, experience, go to sleep go and to don't sleep focus and don't on focus being in your body. Your focus body. on focus setting your energy, energy somewhere else somewhere in the space, in the house, in the some house. concrete location, location, and focus and on focus having on your having energy, energy there. Basically, what you're doing is, is splitting yourself at that point from an energetic standpoint to then give yourself the freedom to, when you do wake up in the dream state, you could possibly also take the body with you. And this is something that I feel, it took me just hearing that to be able to say, oh, this is an easier way to do it. <laughs> it's like, wow. Well, that's what I hear in your meditation you're describing. Here, I will be a participant in this technique rather than just allow it to go without any kind of direction from you know, from me. And I think a lot of people are looking for that now because they've done all the other stuff and they are still finding things that are engaging them in ways they can't pursue unless they reach this level of, um, I guess, coherence with their own energy. And that's a, there really is a tough thing when you try to put language on this stuff. Um, we have to come up with some more words. <laughs> 
Well, in alchemy, that, that light body was, was the stone, uh, the congealed light of consciousness. And when you work with light and meditation and imagination, again, is the key, a very deep, concentrated, contemplative state of, um, of working with the light. That congeals um, in, in an operation the alchemist called coagulation into a, a second body, into a, a body of pure consciousness, of pure light. And the experience of that light body uh, is really profound and deep and immortal feeling. Uh, you can see and understand um, that there is a, a whole new level, and it's nothing like uh, the traditional descriptions of heaven, which I found extremely boring. It's an active, living, more alive state than anything you've experienced uh, in, in the everyday world. Uh, so that is the, the conclusion, I think, of alchemy and the, and the philosopher's stone that gives you all the knowledge and all the wisdom. And it's not about becoming, you know, stoically uh, enlightened and you know everything. It's about becoming mm -hmm. so alive, so much part of energy, so much part of the universe that it's, uh, it, it's, it's impossible to describe and, and, uh, and only can be experienced. But it's, um, it's a confirmation uh, when you do experience that, that light body for however short a period. And it's difficult, like you said, because fear takes over. You're out of the body. This is, this is something new and totally un unbelievable. But more and more people are having that experience, and it's, it's, um, it's the final proof. And, uh, you know, what type of evolution it's leading to, I don't know, but the congelation of light is, is uh, an amazing uh, and profound experience and a confirmation of exactly what the alchemists were talking about. Well, it's the difference between low octane and high octane. When you get this kind of fuel, it's like, holy cow, I'm alive. You know, it's like, okay, what else can I do? You know, there's nothing by control you want to experience. You want to just be free to, to let this stuff be open so that you can, for the first time, see reality. And that's that's transformational. I got to break it now because we're going to have to let you go. The time went way too fast. I really, really enjoy the work that you're doing and the way you make this accessible to people and give them a process that allows them to at least explore what might be a window for them into a greater truth, a greater way of their way. What would you like to add? We've got a couple more minutes um, just to have... There's a, I know you've got an event coming up. Go ahead and tell us. Uh, yeah, I founded uh, a conference uh, four years ago on alchemy where people can come together on, on traditional alchemy, laboratory techniques. We have demonstrations of uh, ancient alchemical experiments. And, but we also have a modern track with uh, people like Montak Chia and others doing body work, psychological, mental work, uh, spiritual work, channeling, all types of things like that that are alchemical, transformational uh, uh, modalities for people to experience. So it's it's the um, annual Alchemy Conference, and it's at the Long Beach Convention Center, uh, September 16th through 18th. The website is uh, alchemyconference.com. And um, I've got other tools out there. I've got like a dozen websites, but alchemylab.com is one uh, meant for people who are new to, um, to alchemy. Alchemystudy.com is another one with a lot of... Uh, uh, free information and techniques. And uh, my own website is uh, dwhauck.com, where I just uh, have um, my interviews like this one will be posted there or a link to it will be posted there and, and, and other videos and things for people who are uh, interested in, in changing 
uh, and working with the uh, ancient and modern techniques of alchemy. Well, that's the well, thing that's about, the thing about it. it. It's been here, it's been here. the shamanic, shamanic um, cultures, cultures, indigenous mm-hmm. cultures, maybe it's the better word of the world, have had access to this information for centuries, and we're just now going, oh, look, a new oh, fun look, a new thing, new to, fun play thing to play with. Exactly. <laughs> it is shamanic, and it's the same techniques uh, in shamanism, and they realize the same type of connection with uh, nature that I realized as a child and many other people have when they're in a so, pure state of so- So, yeah, this is legit. If you're listening along, please explore more. And thank you for listening. Uh, We're going to close our interview with Dennis Howe today and um, appreciate you for tagging along for our wonderful journey. I'm Wendy Garrett. This is Conscious Living on Empower Radio. Remember, think the best thoughts. That's what comes back to you.